a couple of things at one time. Some of you are like a little confused because usually I come up a little bit later in the message or in the, in the service. Uh, our desire for the next few weeks is for us to not, uh, not to part only by my parting or my words to be the last, but really for you, for us communally to spend time uh, in prayer and in worship as we see ourselves to our mission field. And so we've flipped this intentionally uh, so that you have uh, that time to do that. And so uh, if you haven't heard that yet, I wanted you to hear that. If you would stand with me as I read these few verses, that would be great. Genesis chapter 4, starting with the first verse. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the food, fruits excuse me, of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. May God honor the reading of his word. You may be seated. When you think about our calendar and our culture, uh, we realize that there are seasons to everything that seems to be happening around us and with us. The month of November in our nation's calendar is a seemingly a prep for Christmas. Did you know that? <laughs> right, you know, the Black Friday things that you're getting and this, uh, the advertisements. Uh, I already read where someone saw their first Christmas ad, and this is probably a few weeks ago, and they were warmed in their heart. And I'm grateful for that, but let's not... Let's not move too quickly through the seasons that the Lord has given us. Thus, the reason for kind of like, hey, let's just celebrate the beauty of what he's been giving to us this fall. The the splendor of the leaves have just been incredible, haven't they? And then for those of us who are uh, enjoying the warmer weather, it's just been incredible. I like it. Uh, I enjoy it, right? But we've already been barraged with Black Friday sales, And before there truly is Black Friday, right? I mean, so let's just, as I said, let's just slow down a bit. Take our time and use it well in the moments we're in. Did you know in the Jewish calendar that there are seven festivals or feasts? Did you know that? Uh, One of them is actually uh, considered a part of that is every once, at once every seven days. It's called Sabbath. But additional to that, there are other times where people are to stop and remember and worship and honor God, to show him, if you will, gratitude for what he has done and what he is doing for them. Well, we most often think about Thanksgiving in our cultural calendar, which has its roots to celebrating God's bounty at its very beginning. There is a longer-held festival in our biblical lineage, his biblical historical lineage, as God's people. And maybe you didn't know this. It's a festival of booze or tabernacles. Our, our, our friends who are Jewish uh, tend to celebrate this in October or Sukkot. This festival was, shown to, was, was to show gratitude for the harvest Uh, People and families would build shelters or tents out of branches, and they would live in them for seven days. They would celebrate. 
This would be a reminder of the days they wandered in the desert and how God provided for them. They stopped. They remembered. They physically engaged in a festival to remember what God had done, to show God gratitude, thanking him for the harvest. And and so we too are prompted in our calendars to give more attention to being thankful and grateful. And thus, that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks, to take advantage of the, the calendar that causes us to pause, but hopefully even to dip a little bit deeper into the reason why than just getting on to Christmas. There is, a, there is this thing within the biblical storyline called first fruits. First fruits were the first and the best part of the harvest of crops or processed produce, animals, or firstborn sons. Uh, maybe you knew this and you remember this as part of the storyline. Uh, maybe you remember that, that you know, that the, the Passover where the blood needed to be put over the doorpost for the death angel to pass over and not take the firstborn of the family. But God desires our first fruits. He desires the best and first part of what we have to give to him. In Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 3, it says, When you have entered the land, this is one of the passages about that, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of your first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to, go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in the office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land and the land swore to our ancestors to give us. It is God's desire that we bring our first and our best, not to ourselves, but to him first. So we have a picture of, uh, you know, some wheat and a cow and some sheep and some apples. It's, it's of the land, whatever you produce, whatever draws our attention and affections is what really I think God desires for us to give to him. Those things that sometimes we want to hold on to and take hold of. Adam and Eve knew each other and their knowing of each other produced for them, two sons at the beginning of our storyline. Cain worked the ground, bringing harvest from the soil. He learned to plant, cultivate, and harvest this fruit. These were long days, and the weather can be tough. Those of us who were raised in agriculture realize that there's an inherent level of trust you put into working the ground. It's just part of it. And I think Cain knew this. Abel tended the flocks of the field. At a, at a very early age, somebody showed him animal husbandry. You know, it showed him how to produce uh, flocks that would grow and develop, getting the right grazing ground so that they would be healthy And these two were days that were long and hard and arduous. And I think sometimes we have to remember 
that behind the storyline because it's part of the storyline. We're not told, but Adam and Eve must have had shared with Cain and Abel about God, about this very one who walked with them, who used to walk with them in the cool of the evenings prior to their desire for something greater that became something lesser. That that eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, lest we forget, God rescued Adam and Eve from the guilt and shame they found themselves in. He did not leave them. He is their provider. And I think this storyline was told to Cain and Abel. It had to have been. Something along that lines. You know, because God was not the one who left them in their guilt and shame after getting them into the pickle they got themselves into. He did not slither away. He came back to them as their creator, as their redeemer. He was in their life. I wonder what story they told their growing family. Can you imagine the storyline? I don't know. Hey, yeah, we were, got a little bit ahead of ourselves. We thought we were bigger than we were. We took a bite of what we shouldn't have. I don't know. Well, we'll never know what they told Cain or Abel, what we do and can see from the text that they had a knowledge of Yahweh and they understood that an offering is what was supposed to be given to God. They understood this. They had an understanding that they were to offer God something as a way of thanks, to show gratitude for what he had and was going to and give to them. This offering, I believe, was just that, an offering of thanks, of gratitude or worship. Yet some may contend that it was an offering for sin. Either way, it's an offering to God, an offering of thanks for what he allows and what he doesn't give. John Goldengay writes in his commentary, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, sacrifice can have all sorts of meanings as a way of giving, giving something to God. It can express penitence, but more often express worship, contentment, and gratitude. And I believe that this is what is contained there. So we read in Genesis 4, verses 4 and 5, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So after a period of time, Cain brings some fruits of the soil, some fruits of the soil, to offer God. Cain knew he should bring an offering of gratitude for the fruit that had been brought forth from the ground that God had provided Because God was the provider of the soil, the rain, the soil, the seed, all of it. And he knew that there should be something brought. I know that uh, when I was on the farm, uh, the tasks were uh, difficult, quite physically demanding. And they were uh, many days uh, prepping and planting and seeding and weeding and all of those things before you even got to the harvest. It would be, I would be at the table in the evening just trying to refuel for the next day, especially in the summer, you know, just trying to eat enough to keep up. Agriculture is just one of those demanding things, whether it is soil or flocks, it's demanding. Cain knew this rhythm. He knew this work. He also knew Yahweh was someone who is to be worshipped, 
to be shown gratitude. God often requires worship where we worship where we worry the most. He often requires worship where we worry the most. These things have the, our greatest attention, and he asks us often to surrender them to him so that he has our attention and he has our affections. Cain's livelihood was wrapped in what was produced from the ground. It was also what he had worked at the longest every single day, all year long, all the time. Yahweh, God, desires us to surrender our best to him, not to anyone else. Those things in our lives that receive our greatest attention and affection so he can be first. Why? Because I think he knows, and we know from the greater script beyond this, that those things can trap us and we can be earthbound dependent when we were made to fly, when we were made to live on other planes of life. We're not told why, but Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Uh, This picture before you is, well, you probably can't see it. Uh, These apples you probably would not put out at Whole Foods or at Fresh Time. They're quite blemished. For, For those of us in the industry, we would say, oh, those are good utilities, right? You make apple pies out of those. You can make cider out of those, whatever, but you wouldn't see them at Whole Foods, This is the image that I get that Cain brought. He brought some, not the best, not the first, but some. 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 Uh, I wonder, I wonder, you know, if he knew that these weren't the best. Why, why would Cain just bring some fruits if this is the God who is God of control of everything that provides him the, his livelihood? Why would Cain do this? Maybe he said something like this, meh, it's good enough. <laughs> or, come on, God, I brought some fruit. Or, you know what, I worked hard for all of this. Why do you get the best? Why do you get the first? We have a little storyline of that in the New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira kind of holding back, lying about what was totality, right? Do you know when you don't bring the best? (laughs) Do you know when you've not left it all on the field, as they would say? Right? You watch, some of you watched some football yesterday and you're, you're praying that your team leaves it all in the field whether they win or lose, right? We want them to play their best. Or do you, do you know when you have this attitude that says, yeah, it's good enough for here. It's just good enough. Most of us do. So if you were a student, whether uh, in high school, elementary, or college, you probably remember a teacher or professor kind of handing back a paper and going, really? This is your best? I've seen better. What happens to us when our teachers and our professors and maybe even our parents or other places kind of do that to us? This is what I think happens when we know we've kind of had the attitude, it's good enough. 
we get defensive, we get angry, and we push back. Like, who, who are you to tell me whether it's my best? Instead of the constructive, like, you know what, you're right. And live into the confession that frees us. In Malachi, God's speaking through the prophet to, the, to Israel, attempting to get them to see where they're not living at their greatest potential as a people, says this. Malachi chapter 1. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name, but you, have, you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? The defensiveness. <laughs> By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame and diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor (laughs) or your government. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. We read that God did not favor Cain's offering, his form of gratitude, and we say, wow, that doesn't seem right. In fact, I've been in multiple Bible studies where they're like, what's up with God? Why won't he accept this? Could it be because we've wrapped an idiom of our day around what, around what God desires? Yeah, it's good enough. It'll pass. Cain was the first child. Abel was their second And it says, after a period of time, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So Abel brought an offering to the Lord too. Maybe his older brother showed him the practice of gratitude to Yahweh or his mom and dad. Who knows? We don't know how many times they brought an offering to God in any one of these cases. We don't know. What we know is the incident that is plopped down before us in script. So we're not really sure. But I'm guessing that this was not the first time that either one of them had offered to God a gift of gratitude, of worship, of honor. We could also infer that their parents led them, as I said, to the practice of worship and gratitude. While the cool of the evening may not have transpired after the fall, I think God was still intimately assisting them in their brokenness as he assists us. Parents are powerful in creating practices and rhythms with their children and the why can get lost in the translation so Abel brought an offering fat portions and some of the firstborn of his flock fat portions so if you're a carnivore you may have discovered the delicacy of fat truly uh, it's great especially when it's marbled through a good piece of meat right and you're because you're you, like me, you know, on first reading, you go, why would God want fat? Because it's good, and it enhances the flavor. I don't know why he wants it, but I know why I like it in my meat. We, while we do not read about first fruits until a bit later in the Hebrew Bible, it shows up here first, though. Shows up right here. 
God looked, down, looked with favor on Abel's offering because Abel selected some of the firstborn, first fruit of his flock. Whether Abel selected a cow like this one in the picture, probably not. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but what he did select was the firstborn and some of the fat to show God the greatest gratitude that he could. Hannah, you may remember her, the want-to-be mom who was accused by Eli the priest of being drunk at the altar, pouring herself out in travailing prayer. Some of you remember that word from a long time ago. It needs to come back, I, I think. Did something most moms would not have done after God had granted her the desire of her heart. This is found in 1 Samuel 1, 24 through 28. After he, Samuel... Her first fruits, by the way, was weaned. She took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, ephah, a flower, skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had, when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord. As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I had asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. God gave her a son. She was so grateful and desired to give, she was so grateful that she desired to give her greatest desire back to him her, her greatest attention and affections were poured out I am not a mother uh, but I live with one and can I tell you uh, that in a heartbeat my wife will drop whatever's going on to make sure she could be with her children so why but not as quick I'll just be honest it's just not there So Samuel was raised by the Lord in the tutelage of Eli to be the priest of the burgeoning nation of Israel. Can you imagine? Your firstborn, your first fruits. There are no others here. Lord, have him. Hmm. This is the thing with offering your first fruits as he did. As I've said, she was not promised another child. Not at all. Yet she surrendered what God had provided her womb to carry. I can't help but think of the psalmist writes, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How was Hannah to know that, that the role she would play in the, the Messiah's plan? How would she know? She didn't. And neither do we. She gave what the Lord required of her. That's the point of first fruits. You're not guaranteed. 
You don't know what role the, they play in some, in some of God's plan. And sometimes they don't play the role that maybe you want, but that's not the point. The point is that God desires them. Abel gave, offered some of his first fruits. Cain did not. God's favor was on Abel. Cain's favor, Cain's was not favored. Abel gave his first fruits. Cain's jealousy led him to, je- jealousy led him, as we know the rest of the story, led him to, re- to rid himself of the reminder of what God revealed what was inside of him. I think that's exactly what happened. That's what led to the murder. He knew that he, just like we, when we hand in a paper that's just not as, as good as it should be. He knew instantaneously. God just revealed what was already there. The act of giving gratitude and worship to Yahweh grew into jealousy and greed. It's not the only illustration of first fruits given where jealousy and greed grew to kill and destroy. Remember, remember, our story begins here. God's love demonstrated in and through Jesus. He was born, lived, and died, and rises from the grave. And Paul states it this way, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It happened because of of just this greed and jealousy that overtook a nation of people, a group of people, I should say. But his, his first fruits allow for us to be a display of God's first fruits too. So what do we learn? What do we learn through this? Gratitude to God is giving our first and our best. Gratitude to God is giving our first and our best. See, gratitude is sacrificial. Abel gave his firstborn in fat potions, and I would argue that he wasn't promised anymore, but he gave them. It cost him something more than the everyday common things of life. And I think that's part of it, is that what is common to our everyday? And God says, oh, no, 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 more. It was special and set aside. As is our tithe and Sabbath speaks about our our desire of living with surrender of our money and our calendar. You see, when we give directed, see, tithe does this thing to us. It, gives us, it puts it into a communal pot and it releases us from the tethers around it. That's what first fruits do when we give them to God. They release us from that. We, we have to be unencumbered that way. It's sacrificial, friends. And Sabbath is like letting go, right? When we truly take the 24 hours and go, oh, I, can't, I, I don't want to do what I've done the other days because I need the freedom and the gift that God gives. It is truly sacrificial. Abel was, sure, was not sure that there would be more, yet that didn't deter him to give to God what God desired and what he desired to give. King David also had this same thought in 2 Samuel. He says, no, I insist on paying you for it. He was buying a piece of ground. He says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. May our gratitude to God cost us something and demonstrate it that he is our first and our best. Gratitude is worship. Gratitude is worship when it is given to God. 
We want to be a people full of thanks for all the Lord has, is doing, and will do for us. And he will, because he has shown up in the past, right? Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for such sacrifices God is pleased. We know words of praise and worship and gratitude are pleasing to God, yet I think he wants us to take one step further many times. As the psalmist states in Psalm 54, 6, I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. See, he wants us to step into this, this idea of gratitude as sacrificial and It is worship, but as we've already been saying, but maybe not so overtly, gratitude is a response of faith. God delights and desires our trust in him for our whole life, every aspect of it. Those things that give us, that have draw us our greatest attention and affection throughout the week, he wishes for us to surrender them, something about them. Hebrews 11 says this, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for, and the assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what, we see, what was seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. His blood cries out. To give gratitude to God is to give our best and our first, and it truly is an act of faith. That's why when Cain brought the blemished goods, God knew there would be more blemished goods. But he wants the best of us. He wants our attention. He wants our affection. He wants to pour into us his love. I love what Chuck Swinsall states about gratitude. He says, gratitude is a decision of the will. It is, and if a decision of the will, the choice resides squarely with us. Deciding to be thankful is no easy task. It takes work. Thus, the title of the message, because it does. You think about it. If you are Cain or Abel or you right now, all of the things that you pour into your life, and God says, Hey, I want your first fruits. I want something that is sacrificial. I want something that's going to cost you something. Why? Because I don't want you to be bound in believing that that very thing that you're working for and working in and around in this world will get you where you need to go. I will get you there. Your faith needs to be in me. Gratitude is a decision of the will. We have to choose to be thankful. To live and love God is to live by a decision of the will to cultivate our best response for his glory and his honor. So how do we decide to live in gratitude? Let's do this quickly. Between you and God right now, how many times during the week do you say out loud, think in your head, or you respond with this idea, it's good enough? 
it's good enough. Now, before you think I'm uh, a tyrant, there are certain things, there are certain boundaries to our time and energy. I get all of that. But how often are we willing to kind of shrink back and not bring our best? How often do we kind of go, ah, you know, how many things are we doing that we don't do anything well? Because I believe, we may get into this next week, I believe that has a reflection on our soul. We start to carry that when we realize, oh, nothing is done well. And the weight of that wears on us just as it did with Cain. He knew, and so do we. But the question is, who are you saying it to? If that's part of your mindset and your heart, and why are you saying it? How does this thought, frame of thought inform what you believe is acceptable to God even? See, I think that that's where it rides. How do we live? So if there are places and spaces where the Holy Spirit just went ping, 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 can I just tell you that's a place of, of confession and seeking his forgiveness? Because he's, he's, he's letting you have freedom that's found through forgiveness. There are places and spaces in our lives where we realize, oh, right, got it. And let me just tell you, confession is not bad. It's a great thing. It's a freedom, right? I mean, we can thank God today that we have the ability to be forgiven for those things that we do less than his desired result. But that may be your heart, may not be your heart today. But how can we cultivate gratitude? I think simply is we reflect on our day. We reflect on our day. And for many of us, uh, it was pointed out to me um, through some reading that I've been doing that many of us, we get done with work or we get done with the day and our, our day is consumed with not the positives of the day or where God intersects with us, but it's often consumed with the things we didn't get done or the things we should have done. And there, there are those things in reality. But I think the Lord wants to invite you into a day of reflection and to show you where he has intersected with you. And when he shows you those places, and sometimes you know them immediately, but rem, you know, reflecting at the end of the day, you then just praise him back. You give him glory. Thank you for being in that spot. That conversation, that that divine interruption, I wasn't planning on that, Lord. Thank you. Those are places we get to celebrate. We are opening our eyes to see where God is intersecting us. And we respond, as we says, with gratitude to God. Spend, it doesn't have to be long. Spend five minutes, ten minutes on the ride back home or sitting still, asking the Lord, by his spirit, review the day with you. Move us past these places of worry and anxiety and concern and move us into a place where we see what God is already doing for us and on our behalf. Cain could not see what God had done for him. So he brought some fruit. Abel 
through a pattern or rhythm of ritual or whatever from mom and dad or just on his own brought first fruits. I don't know. But God desires our best and our first. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful this morning, Lord, that you are good to us. I agree with Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said it's only with gratitude that life becomes rich. And I think that there's truth to that. Lord, lead us as a people to see your goodness and to respond with gratitude, giving us, giving you our first and our best, understanding that it's sacrificial. Gratitude is worship and it is an act of faith. Lead us in practices and in the way of Jesus that we become grateful people. Amen.